Um, my family, which may not be may not surprise you very much, but uh, when it comes to Christmas, we're one of those people. I know some of you. How many of you wait to put your Christmas tree up after Thanksgiving? You want to give Thanksgiving its proper due. Go ahead and raise your hands, like a non-Baptist would. That's great. Thank you. Um, we. How many of you set your tree up the day after Halloween? <laughs> some of you, don't be ashamed, I need, I need some support here. No, we, we love Christmas, and I think one of the reasons that uh, it was like that was, growing up, we lived on a 15-acre farm, which made me appreciate cities all the more, but we lived on a 15-acre farm, and of course our trees were live, and so it would be the week before Christmas, they'd get a tree up, and then like two days after Christmas, that tree would be out by the road ready for the, the trash man to come and, and to get it. And so uh, that's why I'm a big proponent of uh, artificial trees. You can get those things up and they can stay up. Uh, but I, I don't like that. This is such an important time of year, not because of Jack Frost nipping at your nose and winter wonderlands and all that stuff. Christ coming into the world Everything that happened after that, I, I alluded to it in my prayer, but there, if there was not, if Christ didn't come into the world, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be the, the, his death, there wouldn't be his burial, there wouldn't be his resurrection, there wouldn't be his ascension, there wouldn't be any of that. And so I, this is such an important time of year. And I think a lot of it too, I can actually go into a Home Depot or a Macy's or, or the mall and yeah, there's the winter wonderlands and the, the, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, but I also hear joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, or, or silent night. There's still that little bit where I'm hearing a little bit about Christ and his birth in a store. And it's, it, it, it's a good time. I, I, I enjoy this time of year very much, but we want to make sure that over the next few weeks during the Advent season that we are focusing clearly upon Christ and his birth. So we're going to take a little bit of, of a break from Mark. We're going to go to Genesis 3. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there. If you, if you aren't familiar with how the Bible's laid out, Genesis, it's actually the word that means beginnings. So it's the very first book of the Bible. And so the third chapter, the very third, it's the third chapter of the entire scriptures. And the title of the message this morning is uh, dealing with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but the subtitle is there the Savior our sinful hearts need. We don't like thinking of ourselves as sinful. But really, when you think about it, when, when it's talking about sin, it is not keeping up with the standard of God. Now, we can't even keep up with our own standards. We can't even keep up with our own expectations. We wake up in the morning, I'm going to have my devotionals, and I'm going to work hard this morning, and we're going to have a good lunch, and we're going to eat right, we're going to exercise, we're going to do all of these things. And sometimes when we get to about 10 o'clock in the morning, We've messed up a bunch of that stuff. And so we can't even keep our own standards. How much more are we having trouble keeping God's standards? And so I'm thankful that he didn't leave us by ourselves, that he sent someone to bring us to where we need to be, to meet us where we are, but to bring us exactly um, where we need to be. And so I'm gonna, we're going to cover the entirety of Genesis 3, but I ask you if you would to stand. And I'm just going to read the first half of it, going from chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 13. Unless there any, there's any doubt, this is the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the, pres- from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Who are, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. This passage is one of the passages, one of many passages, but it's really the first one that shows us our need for a Savior. And not to get too far ahead in the sermon, it's actually a passage where it actually shows that a Savior is going to come. You'll see that in verse 15. When it talks about, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The NIV may actually come along and say, crush his heel. But the idea is there. The idea there is there is a problem that we have in the world. There is brokenness that we have in the world. No one, no one would disagree with the fact that there is brokenness in the world. Where there is disagreement, as we've said numerous times before, is the solution to that brokenness. J.C. Ryle, who's an Anglican priest back out back Anglican minister, I should say, that's more accurate, back in the in the nineteenth century, he he said this to his church, and I think it applies for all of us. It would help us to understand how sin shows up in the world. He says, let us remember beside this that every part of the world bears testimony to the fact that sin is the universal disease of all mankind. Search the globe from east to west and from pole to pole. Search every nation of every climate in the four corners of the earth. Search every rank and class in our own country from the highest to the lowest. And under every circumstance and condition, the report will always be the same. The remotest islands in the Pacific Ocean, completely separate from Europe and Asia and Africa and America and and beyond the reach alike of Oriental luxury and Western arts and literature, islands inhabited by people ignorant of books, money, steam, and gunpowder, uncontaminated by the vices of modern civilization, these very islands have always been found when first discovered the abode of the vilest forms of lust, cruelty, deceit, and superstition. If the inhabitants have known nothing else, they have always known how to sin. One of the things about parenting that you do remember is that uh, you don't have to show your kids how to do wrong. 
You don't have to show your kids. You don't have to teach them how to do that. You have to teach them and train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and teach them how to do right. And that's the same with us. We are born with that propensity to wander away from God. Sometimes when we hear talking about free will, sometimes when we talk about free will, that means a will that is free from God. Well, a will that is free from God will not lead you toward God. That's what we're seeing here in the third chapter of Genesis. It's very much the, rea- the reality. And the reality that's there is also making what Matthew one twenty one. It, it makes it all the more rich where it says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If we understand the reality of sin, the gravity of sin, the depravity of sin, and then we come along and we see how Christ is rescuing us from that, it's not that he's smoothing over our little goofs and mistakes. He's good. He is covering over that very thing which separates us from God for all of eternity. And he is the only way for us to be restored and reconciled and renewed to him. And this is where Christmas, for me, comes in. It's not about the lights and the decorations, as wonderful as that is, but those lead me to a reminder of my own sinfulness, of my own need, and how there was a Savior who came, who died on the cross for my sin, rose from the grave to conquer that sin, is is sitting at the right hand of him, of the Father, interceding for me even now. Jesus is praying for me just as Jesus is praying for you. You may not think you need it, but you need it. John Piper one time said that uh, there's probably about 10,000 things that God has protected us from in our life, and we're aware of about three. We're going to get to heaven and find out how much God was protecting us from us, protecting us from ourselves, and what a glory that will be to not have to deal with that anymore one day. But in the meantime, here we are, and we need to be, we need to have this reality of what our sin is all about. So we're going to spend the first four of these points looking at what our sin is all about, but that fifth one is the one that's going to help us to be sure that we're moving forward well. So what, what does our sin look like? What, what, what is our need? Well, sin shows up in this way, is that we, we question the authority of God's word. We question the authority of God's word. Verse 1, it talks about how Satan, who is here in the form of a serpent, was more crafty. Now that word crafty, there's places in the scriptures where that's actually used as a positive. Not here though. Crafty, vile, he's a deceiver. This is a negative connotation that's here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so they began to engage in a conversation which was really the first mistake. Whenever you're, t- you're, you're confronted with sin, either by Satan, either by the flesh, or either by yourself, by your, by, or, or by someone else, rather, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the worst thing that you can do is begin to engage in a conversation. But this is what happened here. It said, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the of any tree in the garden did god actually say and we've said this numerous times before we need to remember again this is the foundation of all sin is questioning what god has said questioning his authority now 
someone can come up to us and say, did God actually say? Our response should be, yes. If God said it, yes. If he didn't say it, then we say no, and then we move on. But sometimes we find ourselves in weak moments, and we begin to have these conversations. And so the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God didn't say anything about touching. Sometimes we try to help God along, adding little things, adding little traditions. The Pharisees weren't the first ones to do this. The, Eve was here trying to add on because, I mean, it, it's logically true, right? It's hard to eat something that you can't touch and you don't touch. Well, so you're okay. You, so you may set up these personal boundaries that you have to be able to help you. But here Eve is adding on something. But see, this is where Satan then begins to lean in. The first one was a question. Was a question. The second one was a straight proposition. Um, you will not surely die. Well, in Genesis 2, God said he would, they would die. In Genesis 3, Satan is saying, no, you won't die. And so here we are all the time presented with a choice. You listen to God, that is not sin. Listening to God, well, that is sin. Not not listening to God, that is sin. You have to make sure that you know what the Word of God says. I, I was listening to a preacher this morning. Sometimes I have to listen to a good preacher to help get me get me fired up and ready to go. And one of the things that he was saying was, he's like, I read the Bible every day. Sometimes I read the Bible more than I have kissed my wife. I've read the Bible more than I've, I, I've eaten because, you know, I go and tra- this preacher goes and travels. He's like, I don't always, not always able to take my wife with me, but I always take my Bible. I'm in the Bible every day because I want to know what the word is saying. When I am not in the Bible every day, I find my relationship over those days slipping. Every day, encountering God in his word. Every single day, somehow, some way, encountering his word. If you can eat breakfast, you can read the word. That's what he was telling me. And I think there was something to that. But Satan was a master gardener in the Garden of Eden. He's planting those seeds of doubt. And when he's planting those seeds of doubt, what what he was doing was saying this. You can decide what part of the word of God to listen to and not. The word of God is subject to your own judgment. You're not subject to the judgment of the word of God. The word of God is subject to you. The command was easy. You shall surely easy to understand. Maybe not easy in execution. You shall eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You may not like what God has to say in his word, but you can't say you don't understand it. Now, there's pieces in there that are difficult. But there's pieces in there that are really, really clear. And so he is telling you right up front, this is what you need to be doing. He is, Satan is a master gardener. But when you begin to have those conversations with your own flesh, eh, this is all right. This is okay. Well, this is what God's word says. Yeah, but not so much. That's when you begin to have those conversations. Did God really say, well, if he said it, yes. You mean he really said, yes. Well, no, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. And then that's the end of the conversation. But what happens is, is that we allow sometimes our senses, those five senses to really begin to be that authority. And here's number two. How does sin show up? Well, we trust in the authority of our senses. And you look at verses six and seven, 
So look at what is happening here. So when the woman, what's that word? Saw. With her eyes. She's looking at that tree that Satan was saying was okay. That Satan was saying, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, you're going to be in control. You're going to be in authority. And I don't know anybody, especially in our country, because that's because the, the authority really lies with the people. We love being in charge. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. And even if sometimes we do submit to it, there may be something in us that's like, I don't like that. I'll do it, but I don't like that. But this is what happens is our own senses sometimes take charge. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, a delight, that's an internal feeling that you have right there, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, you see how the senses are taken over? It says she took of its fruit and ate, must have tasted, there's the other sense, must have tasted pretty good, no no worries there. Hey, Adam, come on over, check this out, and he ate. And once that happened, it didn't happen with Eve, but it happened with Adam. Once Adam ate, because Adam, his job was to be the head of that home. I know we don't like those roles now. I don't like, no, we don't like talking about those roles right now. But the fact is, is that these are the roles that God has set out in his word from front to back. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, concordance maps all the way through the Bible. God has set this design in place. And it was when Adam, as the head, messed up. That's when their eyes began to be open. We have to have a, we have to be sure that we are keeping charge of our senses. There was one time during a winter break where I took our family to the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And I'm not sure if you've been there. That is one impressive facility. They got stuff going on all the time. It's amazing what they have going on. And so my, my oldest daughter, she used to always love going through this place called uh, Exhibition Health. And it was, a, it was a place where you could put your hands under this light and you could see the blood coursing through your veins, which was kind of gross. But you could still see the blood coursing through your veins. You could take a picture. And, you know, I'm 51 right now. I could see what I look like. It's 71 or 81 or 91. You know, and there wasn't much of a switch for me. It was a switch for my kids looking at that. And they're like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? This is what's, this is what's coming. And, and so during one portion, we were looking at the, how, how, what happens to your body when you go hiking up in the mountains. And one of the things that it was talking about that where, where this lady was looking down at the water and she slipped and fell in and she advised all of us not to look at the water because, and this is what she said, the brain believes the eyes over every other sense. Now she didn't mean to preach, but she did. The brain believes the eye. There are things that look good. There are things that God tells us not to do, but you're looking at somebody else. They seem to be having fun. I want to have fun. They seem to be enjoying this. Well, I want to enjoy myself. They seem to enjoy this. I want to enjoy this. You know, and you look at it and you're like, well, it doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't seem so bad. And then you do this. And then what ends up happening, especially if you're a follower of Christ, there's a conviction that comes in. Oh no, what have I just done? And so when you look at passages such as Galatians 5, 19 to 21, where it talks about now the works of the flesh 
are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, your senses, but sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. I warn you, as I tell you before, that those who do such things, do such things, not a one-off, but continue to practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Really? Will not. That's one of those passages, super clear. Crystal clear. Second Peter chapter two, verses one to three, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them rather, bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality. You see, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed For in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And so when we decide to to listen to our senses over the one who created those senses and gave us those senses, well, then another problem comes along. And if we could go to number three, how how else does sin show up? We run from the fellowship of our creator. There was another sense that was in play, and they heard the... Verse 8, help me out here. And they heard the sound. They heard the sound of the Lord. There was a one time when that was a precious sound. Yay, dad's home. That was one of the things that I love when my kids were really little is that they would, you know, dad's home. Now they're so busy. So we got a little dog. (laughs) Yay, dad's home. Come up, don't come up. Even, even wore my little, uh, my little, almost said biscuit tie, maybe biscuit two or biscuit junior, I don't know, but I even wore my little, uh, golden retriever tie that Cindy got me a while ago. We're celebrating. We have a toddler in the house. That's new, or that's different. But, but so be that as it may, the, the fellowship there, there's something about that relationship. And when you have a relationship that's broken with God, What's so sad about it is some people have gotten so used to that that that's, that's their normal, that the thought of having a fellowship with God, ugh, ugh. But you know, those of you who are followers of Jesus, what happens when you, when that fellowship is broken? It's heartbreaking. It's, it's tough. And it says, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife did what? They jumped in the bushes. They hid. I, I want you to sit on that for a bit. Because that still happens. When the conviction of the Lord begins to work in you. When there's something that happens and I don't want that. Or maybe you're feeling so guilty about something that you're doing. That's why maybe that's why you're not reading your Bible. Maybe that's why it takes a long time until you're in a real big pinch and you know you pull pull the Bible off the shelf and dust it off. God say something to me, and he's like, I've been trying to talk to you every single minute of your life. Fellowship. Fellowship is a word that we have, just like the word stewardship, we tend to tie to money. Stewardship is way more than about finances. We do the same thing to fellowship, but not with money. What do we normally tie fellowship with? What's that? Say it again. Food. We have a fellowship hall right by the kitchen with tables 
And when we want to eat, we go to the, not the eating hall, not the mess hall, not the food hall. We go to the fellowship hall. Now, what's supposed to happen there? We, we, you, we fellowship well around food, especially we Baptists. That is our game. That's our gig, right? We fellowship around food. But there's also, we see that around in the scriptures as well. So we don't want to overplay that just for comedy's sake. What we want to make sure is, is that we're coming together and we're fellowshipping. But when we fellowship, what do we sometimes talk about? News, weather, sports, family, kids, dogs, all those things. When in reality, there's a fellowship that's there that binds us in Christ where we are supposed to be building up one another. It's that word koinonia, where we're supposed to be building up one another, those that have been called out. In 1 John 1, 1 to 4, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard. You see, hear the senses there? seen and heard and proclaim also to you that, so that you too may have fellowship with us, koinonia with us. And indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Your joy is complete, not just when you have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but your joy is complete when you have fellowship with each other. Who as we all belong to the triune God. It's that old illustration that A.W. Tozer said a long time ago, that a hundred pianos that are tuned to the same tuning fork are tuned to each other. Right? So if, if, if we all need to be working on our fellowship with God, which will enhance and strengthen our fellowship with each other. But if we're coming into church and all we're thinking about is, this is what I want to have happen, this is where I think we should do, and this is how I think you should preach, and these are the songs I think you should sing, and this is the temperature I think the building should be, and this and this and this and this, how in the world are we ever going to have unity? When we can't even agree on those low stakes things, how are we going to have unity when it comes to the higher stakes of doctrinal matters that ma- that, that matter? So we have to make sure that we are keeping that fellowship with the Lord, but yet we're running and hiding. Where are you? You're God. You should know. No, no, no. Do you know? Do you know where you are in your, in your walk with the Lord? Are you reading the word every day and praying before him and, and getting a recognition of that? Or do you think, I got it? You know, the time that my devotional life was the worst was when I was in seminary. You know why? Because I was submerged around chapels and professors and books. And my, dev- I, and my devotional life stunk. Because the only reason I was studying was for a grade. I wanted a good grade. I wanted people to pat me on the back. Yeah, let's go. We have to make sure that our fellowship with him is a personal one. And we have, so he said, I heard the sound of the garden. I was afraid, naked, hid myself. Why have you done this? Well, the woman you gave me. Do you see what's happening here? And you've done this. I don't know that you've done this, but I would say you've done this. God gave you something to do. 
you decided not to do it. And so when you begin to face the, you know, and have to pay the piper, you begin to blame God for putting all of those things in your way to tempt you, that you think is tempting you to get you off track. What's happening here is the woman you gave to me, he was blaming their own sin on the God that made them. Oh no, don't go there. That's bad news brown. Don't do that. You start doing that and you start blaming God for your sin. That now all of a sudden you have elevated your holiness above him. And we're so good at that. And we started young. Our first parents did this probably 20 minutes in. Well, well, the woman said, verse 13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And honestly, I've had these conversations with, with youth. They're trying to get an understanding and, and, and adults as well. They're trying to get an understanding. Well, if God didn't want us to sin, why did he put the tree in the garden? If God didn't want us to sin, why do you allow the snake to talk to you? It's because, yes, you are a free being. You can make a choice. You're making choices all the time. And you're making a choice here. But God is also reminding us that without his help, our, cho- our choice is going to be like that old hymn says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we see in verse in number four, the, the cur- we bear the curse of our own brokenness. And you can read over these, but the serpent was called, was cursed to go on the belly with the dust of the earth. The woman, pain multiplied in childbearing. The, re- the relationship between the husband and wife, she was going to want to dominate. He was going to want to submit rather than staying in those particular lanes that God has called to them. They're no longer a partnership with different roles. Adam, instead of being a joy to work the ground, it was going to be a chore. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. There wasn't going to be all, they weren't going to be able to get the fruit of the, of the land all the time. They were going to be sweat of the brow. They were going to be doing this like the woman was going to be in pain for childbearing. He was going to be in pain working the earth. Can you imagine there was a time when work was a joy? Again, it didn't last too long. There is a curse that hits all of us that the first Adam brought in. There was a physical curse that we're all going to physically die. There was a spiritual curse that we're not going to be born separated from God in need of a Savior. In Romans five eighteen to 21, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, which is what we've been talking about here in Genesis 3. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so by the one, man, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now in Romans 6 is talking about, well, I'm going to sin way more. So God's grace is going to be way more. That's not the point. The point is, is our sin was big enough. It's enough. But Christ's grace is more than enough. It'll cover us. So that sin reigned in death, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The first Adam brought in sin and death 
and cursing and brokenness. But that wasn't the only Adam. There was another Adam to come. Go back, if you will, to verse 15. And number five, we see this. We must embrace the hope of our deliverer. Some of you may be familiar with Francis Schaeffer. Somebody asked Francis Schaeffer, if you only had one hour to talk to somebody about the gospel, what would you do? He said, I would spend 55 minutes explaining the nature of sin. And then I would come in at the last five minutes and explain the Savior of our, the, the salvation that our Savior brought in Jesus. It's kind of what we've been doing here. And intentionally, it's kind of what we've been doing here. Because we've got to see this. We've got to see that this is where we all were. This is what we all struggle with now. But there is a Savior to bring us out. And we need to continually pursue Him in that fellowship every single hour, every single minute, every single day. If you look at verse 15, I will put enmity between you. Who's he talking to? The serpent, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, those of you that may have the King James, that word is not offspring, is it? It may be, I think it's the word seed. Well, again, I I say this every time I preach on this. Biology class, women don't have seeds. Men have seeds. So what's a woman doing with a seed? Well, that's going forward to the second Eve, Mary, where it talks about in Luke 1 that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she would become with child. She never knew a man. That's why it was important for her to be a virgin. When she, when she had Christ, God, because the, the curse of sin didn't flow into him. And so it says here, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Even from the Garden of Eden, when all of these curses were being levied, there is that hope, that first gospel that theologians call it, that, that hope that there is going to be a way out. That you are not going to be identified with your sin. Every so often you hear people say, well, I was born this way. Sure you were. We all were. We all were born in sin. But we need to be born again. And Jesus comes along in John 3 and says, you must be born again. How? It's because of what's happened here. If we're not born again, we're just born once, then we're still in our sin. And so when we look at Romans 16, verses 19 to 20, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That's hard nowadays because we're just being inundated with all of this filthiness. But it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That promise that was all the way back in Genesis 3, 4, 5,000 years prior, That's what's being said here. May the God of peace soon crush Satan under your feet. I can't wait for Christmas Day for for the obvious reasons. But one of the reasons is that we're going to be able to get together. You know, on Christmas, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper on Christmas morning. Can't wait. I'm giddy. Chills. You can't see it. Long sleeves. Chills. Because it's a reminder of what Christmas... Is, is the trajectory that's being set. There's two verbs that are surrounding the Lord's Supper. I'll give you the first one, and those of you that may have been in church world for a while, you'll know the second one. Take, what's the second one? Eat. You know what's so, why that is so powerful? Is because the first time that there was a taking and an eating, it brought sin into the world. If you go back to Verse 6, it says, she took of its fruit 
and then ate and gave the fruit to her husband, and he ate. The first taking and eating brought us and reminds us of our sin. But there's another taking and eating that the second Adam gave to us. We are to take and eat of Him who is the bread of life. We are to take and eat of Him. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 1, seven. Oh, aren't you glad that that second taking and eating is now taking precedence over that first one? We no longer have to be subject and in, under dominion over the curse of sin because the second Adam came. The first Adam brought sin in. The second Adam took it out. The second Adam, first Adam brought the curse in. The second Adam reversed the curse. And now we can be a part of all that he is and all that he's done. And not because of our sin, but in spite of it. And not because of our obedience, but in spite of our lack of obedience. We are saved based on his obedience. And I hope that when you walk out of here, that you won't walk out of here without knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't leave this place without recognizing, yes, your sin, it's great. His grace, all the greater. Aren't you glad for that? May this be the morning that you start off this Advent season truly prepared for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and, and that you'll be able to celebrate that. But let's pray and ask God to do a work in us. Father, thank you that you've brought us here today to sit under the word. And Lord, not because of any skill that any speaker behind this box may, may have, but because your spirit is attending your word and driving it home to hearts that desperately need you. Father, we live in a culture that is careening away from you. And I pray, Father, that we would now see how much we need to rely on your Holy Spirit to change hearts and to draw them to you by your Son, Jesus. Father, I pray that everything that we would do, everything that we would say, everything that we would think would be brought under your authority, not the authority of our senses where we look at something to determine right and wrong. Father, we're all tinged with sin. We're tinged with self from head to toe. Yet here we are, Lord, knowing that there is a Savior to meet us in our sinful need. And I'm grateful, Father, that you're working and moving. And so if there's anyone here that needs to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior and and to make that public, our faith is personal, but Lord, you've told us over and over, it's not private. Help us, Lord, to help each other as as we walk in you. Guide us, Lord, and Help us to see our sin and help us to see our Savior. May we turn to who He is and what He's done. Pray this in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen. Before we, uh, before we sing, I want to just bring to mind, there's a gentleman that's uh, out and about now. His name is Shane Pruitt. He's a wonderful youth evangelist that's out. And he, he put this out on social media. There are some good things about social media, by the way. Here's one of them. Christians, if believing that God is real, that Jesus is the only way, heaven and hell exists, 
The Bible is authoritative. Truth is absolute. Marriage is defined by God. Male and female is determined by God. And self-help can't save you. And it makes you outdated and narrow-minded. So be it. So be it. The world is careening away from all of that design. Mm. And you may be tempted to go that way. Don't. Go the way of the Master. Go the way of our Lord Jesus. And if He's calling you to commit to Him, then do that this morning. Don't let one more second go by. Let's stand together. We have this song that we are getting ready to sing that we pray will help you in this. Talking about come thou long expected Jesus. It's not just for Advent. Every day, every hour, every minute. Come. Please come, Jesus.